House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is expected to land in Taiwan on Tuesday. The potential trip is igniting tensions between the U.S. and China to a historical high, with Beijing threatening to take action. After passing both chambers, an over $200 billion spending bill is heading to Biden's desk. Supporters say it will boost America's semiconductor manufacturing. Critics say it's a free giveaway for big corporations. The U.S. and Japan are pledging deeper cooperation in a few key industries. America's ambassador to Japan says the move will help counter China. And Australian officials are partly blaming China for inflation at home. They say it involves Beijing's strict COVID-19 policy. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is expected to visit Taiwan during her trip to Asia, possibly landing on the island Tuesday night local time. That's based on U.S. and Taiwanese media reports. The possible visit comes as tensions in the region are at a historical high, and Beijing vows to take action if Pelosi goes through with it. The Chinese regime claims Taiwan as part of its territory, even though it's never ruled the island, and it hasn't ruled out trying to take it by force. But U.S. law requires Washington to make sure the self-governing island is able to defend itself. Pelosi would be the highest-ranking official to visit the island in 25 years. American and Asian media outlets quoted sources as saying that the U.S. military is working around the clock to monitor Chinese actions to keep Pelosi safe. That includes moving aircraft carriers and large planes closer to Taiwan. On Monday, the Chinese regime threatened to take action. We would like to tell the United States once again that China is standing by and the Chinese People's Liberation Army will never sit idly by, and that China will take resolute responses and strong countermeasures. As for what measures, if she dares to go, then let's wait and see. The regime also released a video. In it, Chinese forces seem to be launching a ballistic missile that resembles a DF-17 hypersonic weapon. The U.S. side responded. But clearly, uh, we want to make sure that when she travels overseas, she can do so safely and securely, and we're going to make sure of that. Uh, th there's no reason for the Chinese rhetoric. There's no reason for uh, any actions to be taken. It is not uncommon for uh, congressional leaders to travel to Taiwan. It is very much in keeping with our policy and consistent with our support to Taiwan under the Taiwan Relations Act. Uh, we're not, we shouldn't be as a country, we shouldn't be intimidated by, by that rhetoric uh, or, or those potential actions. This is an important trip for the speaker to be on and we're gonna do whatever we can to, to support her. In Taiwan, the island's premier said his government, quote, warmly welcomes visits by foreign guests, though he did not mention Pelosi's potential visit directly. We will make appropriate arrangements to facilitate any visits by foreign guests. Of course, we respect their planning on the timing and duration and so on. Speaker Pelosi, are you planning to visit Taiwan during your trip? Pelosi already met with top Singaporean officials on Monday. The country's foreign ministry said in a statement that they welcome strong U.S. engagement in the region. Its prime minister stressed the importance of a stable U.S.-China relations to maintain peace.
A sweeping spending bill totaling over $200 billion has passed both chambers of Congress. Some lawmakers hope it would increase America's edge in semiconductor manufacturing. Others are against it, saying it fails to compete with China. Where would it send money? Let's take a closer look. Laid upon the, table. the House has passed an over $200 billion bill aiming to boost U.S. competitiveness in the semiconductor industry. On this vote, the yeas are 243, the nays are 187, one member voting present. The motion is adopted. The bill now heads to President Biden's desk for him to sign into law. Here's his reaction to the news. The House has passed it. Officially dubbed the CHIPS Act of 2022, the measure would give roughly $52 billion to domestic semiconductor or microchip manufacturers. About $100 billion would go to the National Science Foundation to establish regional technology hubs. Why are semiconductors important? Experts say these tiny chips are the hearts and brains of all other electronics. The semiconductors are vital to every defense application from drones to hypersonic missiles. Uh, they're driving the global digital economy, everything from artificial intelligence to wind turbines or electric vehicles or solar panels. Despite the importance, over 80% of the chips used in the U.S. aren't made on home soil. Most of the nation's chip manufacturing has shifted to Asia, especially Taiwan. The island also manufactures over 90% of the world's most advanced microchips. Because of that, the pandemic-driven microchip shortage has caused massive disruptions. For one, the auto industry is projected to lose $200 billion because of a lack of chips. Back to the chip bill, its key goal is to maintain a competitive edge with China as Beijing pours money into its own domestic chip production. One of the main drivers behind the bill is Senator Todd Young of Indiana. What we're going to see in the very near term are more semiconductor uh, manufacturing companies announcing a manufacturing presence on our American soil so that we're no longer dependent on other countries for the sourcing of, of these computer chips. That Despite that support, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer stripped a provision at the last minute. It would have blocked funded manufacturers from outsourcing production to China. So that means firms will be able to outsource the manufacturing of those semiconductors to China. Before its passing, the bill also faced controversy. Senator Rick Scott explained why he's against it. Let me give you an example. Intel Corporation, I'll tell you how it's going to impact them. They're going to get, I think, $4 billion, right? On top of $4 billion to build a plant, they get a $4 billion tax write-off, and they get a 25% tax credit. So they get all that. Now, what do they have to do? There's no obligation that they build a specific chip that we need. There's no quotas. Uh, there's no standards. You know, they're a big investor in China. They can continue to invest in China. They can continue to expand in China. When China invades Taiwan, which I hope they don't, they can continue to do business in China, which they said they would. The new CHIPS Act follows a version of the measure that was approved in January 2021. Since then, Democrats and Republicans have failed to reach an agreement on how to appropriate funding for the initiative. According to the Congressional Budget Office, the CHIPS bill will increase the federal budget deficit by $79 billion over 10 years. China is leaning towards the principle of the logic of brute force over the rule of law.
That's how the Japanese foreign minister described the communist regime's behavior in the Indo-Pacific region. Here's more. During a visit to Washington last Friday, Japan's foreign minister Yoshimasa Hayashi sounded the alarm about China's behavior in the Indo-Pacific. The logic of brute force is gaining more traction over the rule of law. And the strategic balance in the region is increasingly challenge for Japan and the United States. Hayashi emphasized that the Indo-Pacific is home to more than half of the world's population and accounts for nearly 60 percent of global GDP, calling it the growth engine of the world, a region filled with potential. The Japanese minister also touched on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He said it was essential that the invasion go down as a clear failure. Otherwise, other countries would follow suit and attempt to change the status quo by force. What is happening in Ukraine must never be allowed anywhere in the world, including especially in the Indo-Pacific. We must all run the light lessons from the current situation in Europe. This in apparent reference to mounting China-Taiwan tension as the island faces a possible invasion from Beijing. Hayashi largely avoided mentioning China by name, but said it was essential to maintain candid dialogue with Beijing. He also noted that cooperation with the Chinese regime is necessary in some areas, like addressing North Korea. Chen Niwu, NTD News. The U.S. ambassador to Japan signed out a few areas as key to U.S.-Japanese cooperation. Those include semiconductors, batteries and energy. That's as both countries deepen their ties to secure supply chains in counter-China. The ambassador, Rami Manuel says an American company is looking at a major semiconductor investment in Japan, though he declined to give details. He says commercial diplomacy is a major piece of an overarching economic collaboration and coordination between the United States and Japan. Japan says it will provide as much as $700 million to help U.S. firms boost memory chip output at a Japanese plant. American firms like Western Digital Corp. and partner Kyoksa Holdings are set to benefit from the deal. Ambassador Emmanuel says the cooperation comes as China uses its economic strengths to pressure other countries. He also points to a pattern he's noticed from Beijing. If they don't like what you say politically, they put the muscle on you economically. The ambassador cited Japan's past experience to back it up. In 2010, Japan and China entered a dispute over a boat collision incident. Beijing later imposed a rare earth ban on Japan, only to lift it about a month later. Let's take a closer look at semiconductor cooperation. The United States and Japan plan to establish a new joint research center for next-generation semiconductors or microchips. That's amid the global shortage. Officials from the two longtime allies met Friday during an economic meeting in Washington. Chips are an essential component in nearly all electronics, from coffee machines to smartphones to fighter jets. The new R&D organization is meant to establish a secure source of them. Currently, Taiwan makes over 90 percent of the world's most advanced chips. But there is concern about supply stability as tensions rise between Taiwan and China. 
Beijing views the island as a renegade province and has threatened to take it by force. Details of the plan were not immediately released, but Japan's Nikkei Shimbun newspaper said research of two nanometer semiconductor chips would begin in Japan by the end of this year. It's said to include a prototype production line and should begin producing semiconductors by 2025. Coming up, has Beijing's strict COVID-19 policy contributed to Australian inflation? Plus, how is the Chinese regime reacting to the crisis in the real estate sector as a growing number of home buyers refuse to pay mortgages on unfinished projects? That and more after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Officials in Australia are placing partial inflation blame on the country's biggest trading partner, China. The country's treasurer says Beijing's pandemic policies are a factor out of Australia's control. Here's more. An Australian official says China's COVID-19 policies are contributing to Australian inflation. Now, China is our biggest trading partner by a long way. What happens with China's domestic economy has a direct link to our national activity and income and prosperity. And China's strict COVID containment measures have had a substantial impact on their output and have made existing supply chain disruptions even more severe. On Thursday, Treasurer Jim Chalmers outlined Australia's deteriorating economic outlook in remarks to Parliament. He's warned that the country's inflation rate will peak at almost 8 percent by the end of the year. The current ex expectation is that it will get worse this year, moderate next year and normalise the year after. We haven't reached the peak yet, but we can see it from here. He pointed out that some of the factors affecting inflation were outside of Australia's control, including China's COVID-19 policies. That undermines energy and food security and dramatically pushes up global prices. And all of this puts pressure on our economy and our budget. Chalmers' statement came after the release of new figures showing inflation as of June this year rose by 1% since March. Now we shift to China's real estate sector. A report says Beijing will issue a trillion yuan in loans to help property developers. That's equivalent to almost $150 billion. Property development was once a key pillar of China's financial growth. But it's been lurching from one crisis to another, especially in the past year. One of the most pressing issues involves residential construction projects that developers sold but never completed. More and more home buyers in China are threatening to stop paying their mortgages on the unfinished projects. The number is growing so fast that authorities have stopped updating the figure online. The mortgage boycott is also prompting many cash-starved developers to reorganize their businesses. They have long relied on pre-sales of apartments, which don't sell without consumer confidence that the units will be built. The situation has put pressure on Beijing to act quickly and quell any social unrest. In its report, the Financial Times cited insiders as saying the People's Bank of China will initially issue about 200 billion yuan, around $30 billion, of low-interest loans. Those will go to state-backed commercial banks. China State Council recently approved the plan, allowing the banks to use the loans along with their own money to refinance stalled real estate projects. 
But property developers and analysts say even a trillion yuan in new financing won't be enough to resolve the sector's debt. For one, China Evergrande Group alone has over $300 billion in debt. Analysts say private Chinese developers account for around 70 percent of the market, and at least half of them have run into liquidity issues. The mortgage boycott has also struck banking stocks. Now, both home buyers and investors are steering clear. Official data shows in the first half of the year, China's property investment fell over 5 percent from a year earlier, while property sales by square footage slumped over 20 percent. The rate that new construction projects are started also plunged over 34 percent. Is Beijing an adversary or a competitor? And has Europe made itself vulnerable by not investing enough in NATO? We hear from Piet Hoekstra, former ambassador to the Netherlands, for insight. Ambassador Hoekstra, you are also the former ambassador for the Netherlands. And right now, Europe has a lot happening there, right? The Ukraine war with Russia. And part of that is the West has placed a lot of sanctions on Russian oil and gas. But some countries seem to be benefiting from that, right? China and India. So how do you balance this going forward? Well, what we need to recognize is that, number one, Europe made a huge strategic mistake by allowing itself to become dependent on Russian fossil fuels, whether it's oil or gas. Uh, The second thing is Europe also made itself vulnerable by refusing to invest in NATO. NATO was no longer uh, a real threat because countries like the Netherlands, instead of spending what they had committed to, 2% of their uh, gross domestic product, on defense, they were spending about 1.2%. Now, the Netherlands is a small country, but you go to somebody like Germany, they were also spending about 1.2%. So you've got billions of dollars in shortfall uh, in terms of putting together an effective deterrent towards Russia. The third thing that you you learn from this is Unless you get global sanctions and you really make, if if we really would have made Russia pariah in the world community, sanctions won't work. Like you said, China and India, they're benefiting. They're buying Russian gas and they're buying Russian oil uh, at discounted prices. But it's still funneling enough money and resources to Russia uh, for them to fund this war with Ukraine. So, yeah, they're being hurt, but they're not being hurt to the point where it's like, wow, we got to stop. You know, this is really damaging uh, to us uh, with sanctions. It seems Europe more broadly kind of struggles with this more than, say, America or other Western allies, right? So it's like when it comes to the Chinese regime specifically, one is like, oh, you don't want to lose that because it's a massive market. But then secondly, there's all these, say, human rights issues and stuff. So in your experience, how do these European countries balance that or do they? They don't do balance it very well. It's all about the uh, almighty, you know, for us, it's the almighty dollar. For them, it's uh, the almighty euro. Uh, they've always viewed China as a huge market. Uh, they've raised the issue of what happens with the Uyghurs. They've, you know, they've raised a number of the other human rights issues uh, that they observe in China. They say they're very concerned about them, but ultimately it is a market for them. BMW, you know, the rest of the uh, German automotive uh, manufacturers, they see it as a huge marketplace for them. 
That's what's been driving their strategic interest in China, is how do we drive our economies? How do we grow our economies by expanding into China and integrating with China? Uh, and I think what they're finding out that over the last 20 or 30 years, they're now finding out that that's been a pretty damaging strategy. China has stolen their intellectual property, just like they've stolen America's intellectual property. Uh, they're becoming a threat to their economies. Uh, and so hopefully, again, the U.S. and Europe, the Western democracies, along with our allies in Asia, can confront China and say, yeah, you're a great market, but we're not going to do business with you until you start practicing good stewardship and good partnership. It seems right now a lot of countries, including the U.S., still kind of see China as a competitor, not an adversary. So why do you think that is? We don't want to recognize the threat. As soon as our government recognizes that China is a threat uh, and we communicate that with the American people, a threat requires a, dif a different set of actions uh, and policies than just viewing it as a competitor. If it's a competitor, you pass a bill like what uh, you know Congress is considering right now. I think it's $250 billion to help our chip industry. We can deal with that, you know, uh, but if that's what you do if it's a competitor, what do we need to do to maintain our competitive position? If it's a threat, and you tell the American people, hey, there's a high probability that China is responsible for a million deaths in America. They're responsible for the stealing of our intellectual property to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars per year. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, the American people are going to expect a different kind of behavior. Hold China accountable. Uh, you know, put tariffs on them, label them as uh, a currency manipulator. Uh, and you'll see some tensions arise because so many of our businesses today have become or have already become so intertwined with China uh, that uh, there will be disruptions going from viewing them as a competitor to what many of us believe they really are, which is a threat to the way we live, the, the way we work. Uh, will require a whole new set of policies that our policymakers at this point in time haven't put enough time and thought in, into and in describing to the American people exactly what that would be. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.